Hi, and welcome to Culture Shocked, the podcast for and about international students in which we explore the challenges and rewards of living in a multicultural society. I'm your host, Fiona Krugan, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh Little. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about actual culture shock with Natika, an international student from India who is studying educational psychology at the University of Arizona. Natika, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here, guys. We're so glad to have you. Um, Just to begin with, we are wondering if you could share a little bit about your background and what brought you with us here today. Okay, so I am in currently in the master's program for educational psychology. I'm in the final semester, so the end is so close. Oh, I have my defense in a week, so that's exciting, yeah. uh, I guess. Uh, but I'm also uh, admitted in the PhD program coming uh, fall, Woo-hoo. so that's also equally nerve-wracking, I guess. Uh, Other than that, I am from India. I've been here. I will complete two years in the U.S. in August of 2023. And uh, I actually have a master's from India. This is is my second time around. I I think I'm kind of masochist because I keep (laughs) being in grad school over and over again. I have a a master's in clinical psychology. Then I worked uh, for a couple of years with schools. Uh, in the Department of uh, Special Ed, and then I decided to do another master's, which is how I ended up in the U.S. And I think Arizona specifically because I can't do cold at all. Like, I'm very weak when it comes to cold. (laughs) So I Googled hot states in the U.S. and applied to only the hot states. And Arizona was one of the better universities, so here Mm. I am. Yeah, and don't we have, I think we have more sunshine than any other state. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, if you like hot, you're in the right spot for sure. (laughs) Okay, and then uh, to dive into our topic today... One of the biggest challenges that international students face is adjusting to a new culture when they come to a new country, and that's what we refer to as culture shock. Can you tell us about some of the biggest challenges or just any of the challenges that you faced when you first came to the U.S.? Um, I think the biggest thing was, you know, just shopping in general. When Whenever I would go to Target or Walmart, even to get as basic essentials like uh, a blanket or a pillow— my head would not stop converting money. Uh, so, for example, from Indian rupee to U.S. dollar or vice versa, I would keep. I was like, "Oh my God, how would this cost forty bucks here?" And then I would multiply that with eighty because that's the conversion rate, mm-hmm. or at least it was around the uh, like two years ago. And that would stop me from buying anything because that would the amount would seem so big and huge that I would be like, do I really need to be warm? Do I need a blanket? (laughs) You know? (laughs) But then I had to scold myself and teach myself not to do that so that I can live here as a resident instead of just as a tourist. So Mm. I had to stop feeling like a tourist. That mentality had to go away if I had to survive. So I think that was one of my bigger uh, adjustment issues um, that I felt. The other thing I would say that, okay, so I got a TA position, a teaching assistant position uh, with the department uh, my first semester. And uh, on Fridays, we hold these things called discussion sections where the TAs have to hold like with around 25 to 30 student undergrad students. So we have to teach. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, my problem or my so just an apprehension was would my pronunciation in English be a factor where students just raise hand and like I don't know what you're talking about. And are you are you a native English speaker? No. Uh, I mean we did le- uh, English was our main uh, language of instruction in high school and uh, college. Okay. But uh, at home I speak in Hindi with my parents and my family. Mm. So. Uh, I mean, we all had to give either IELTS or TOEFL, the standard standardized English tests to be in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But um, the pronunciation, the accent is something that I was worried about that the undergrad students would not understand. And that might be, that was just like my own sort of reflection on myself uh, if my pronunciation and accent would be a problem. Uh, but I think it wasn't. I mean, it's been two years, so <laughs> I think I'm good. <laughs> So I think, yeah, those were two big things that I would constantly worry about. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and I think that's a, those are some great examples. And when we're thinking about something as simple as shopping, you know, that's something you can experience culture shock with. I think a lot of times people think of major cultural connections or something, but even something as small as trying to convert money, that can be, that can be a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing those. And in talking about those, what were some of the things you did to overcome those challenges? Uh, the good thing that happened with me was, uh, since it was my first time being in the country, my parents were a little worried that I should not live off campus. So I enrolled in the graduate housing offered by the university. Okay. Uh, that's specifically for graduate students. So we are randomly assigned to I, I took a four-bedroom apartment sort of situation, and I was randomly assigned to three other girls who are who are American. So I was when I was sitting in India and enrolling for this program, I thought that they're going to uh, room me or house me with other Indian people or other Asian people. But it mm-hmm. so happened that I was roomed with three other American girls. And I think that just any boundaries, any concern, anything that I felt would have been a challenge was sort of just obliterated because I had to adjust and I had to understand how Americans live, how Americans eat, clean, have a lifestyle, a livelihood, all of that because I had to live with them. So I think that was one of the core things that also was a problem and also helped me overcome a lot of my own culture-related barriers because I just had to learn. So that was helpful, I think. And that also helped me become friends with other American people instead of just finding sort of a sense of security and hunting down Indian people to become friends with just them. It also sort of opened up a lot of social groups where I would become friends with people from here instead of, you know, being codependent on other Indian people. So that was very helpful. But then I had to, like, make myself believe that you know, they want to be friends with me. It was, uh, I think what happens is, and also research has showed this, that uh, people who come from different countries, especially if it's uh, um, underdeveloped or a developing country uh, to the U.S. when they come here, they have sort of a sense of inferiority. Mm, And just because they think that, you know, uh, maybe because we are not American or we are not from the number one country in the world, uh, we are somehow not good enough or not equal enough. So that is a sense of worry that is constantly there. 
so I had to sort of get rid of that because I had to remind myself that if I'm here, it's because I'm qualified. It's because I have potential and it's because I'm in the department because I'm as, uh, you know, uh, qualified or mm-hmm. just, just I'm, I'm, I'm the same as these people. Everybody's right. human. So I had to keep like keep telling them that. Just because you are from a certain country, that should not be a barrier between yeah. you not being equal. Uh, you just bring diversity. Mm-hmm. You bring more culture. That's right. That's- right. Of course. Um, are you familiar with the term imposter syndrome? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, could you describe maybe just you know how impo- what imposter syndrome is? Okay. So yeah. imposter syndrome is. It's not, uh, it doesn't stem from a cultural aspect. It is just a feeling of not being good enough or when you're in a crowd, uh, you feel that others are more equipped, more knowledgeable, more aware, more, just more than you. And you have this constant fear that you don't belong and you are not good enough. And you keep comparing your sort of performance with the group that you're with. It happens with everybody I have met, uh, you know, even professors, they mm. say that even after publishing like 200 papers, <laughs> when they go for conferences, they are like, oh, imposter syndrome is back. So, you know, mm. it's a thing that I think as academics, we deal with on a daily basis. Right. Uh, it just the situation differs. So that was, yeah, that I would definitely agree that that was one of the things that uh, was a challenge that I had to overcome. I don't think I have completely, but... Uh, it's a battle. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And you have these layers to it of, of, you know, not just what a domestic student would experience, but mm-hmm. given um, your language learning experiences and, and the cultural differences, certainly. Um, so there was a little nugget there where you mentioned something about what research shows about students coming from developing nations to the U.S., um, so I understand that you are also developing some expertise in this area, could you share a little bit about what you're learning in your research? Absolutely. So my master's thesis is on the topic sociocultural adaptation of international students in the United States of America. Uh, why I was interested is uh, because it felt personal, and it felt, I, and I was also doing like a literature review, and I found that not a lot of research has been done, even though we have around, according to those stats from last year, we have over 900,000 international students. Right, so almost a million. Yes, studying in the U.S. currently. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge number. Uh, and I was worried that nobody's really finding anything about their adjustment. They just, uh, like, the whole first, the getting a U.S. visa is such a big task that once that happens and once they're here, they think that, okay, now all the worry is gone, but this is where the real journey begins. Mm-hmm. So nobody's really bothered. I mean, that's not the right word, but not a lot of research was or is being done, which is what got me interested in this topic. And uh, so there's this researcher who was considered the pioneer of a topic uh, for international students like this. Uh, his he, his name is Lysgaard. And in 1955, he came up with a U-curve model. And he explained uh, adaptation for international students as in three phases. So phase one, so this is dependent on time. So for phase one is students who are maybe a month or two old in the U.S. So he called that 
period as the honeymoon period because, you know, you're happy, you're in a different country, you're experimenting, you're just joyous and happy to leave your, your dreams are becoming true. You're, you're living the American dream. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is phase one. And then after around six or seven months of being in the country, that's when that that's the decline of adaptation uh, that happens. And he called this phase um, culture shock, <laughs> which uh, coincidentally is the name of the podcast. So, uh, so he says that once the honeymoon period gets over, uh, that's when students finally it sets in that, oh my God, now you got to do your own work. You got to not just study, but worry about laundry and food and making friends and missing home. All of that you have to deal with. And that's when culture shock sets in. Mm -hmm. And then it takes you another six months or so. So around when you're at least a year old in the country, that's when adaptation happens. So that's what he called mastery. That now you've experienced how, you know, the local people here live, how you're supposed to live, mm -hmm. how you're supposed to balance all the different aspects of your life, and that's when uh, adaptation happens. So this is what my research is based on. I am trying to see if what he found out in 1955, if that's still valid here, okay, or if time is the only sort of factor that affects adaptation. I believe that there are so many other factors that irrespective of whether you're here for one month, six months, 12 months or four years, there are other factors that are more sort of relevant than just time. Mm -hmm. And some of those factors could be like um, interpersonal con connections mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, language or um, sort of like an ecological adaptation. So there uh, are... What is ecological adaptation? It's... Again, about how your environment in the U.S. affects how easy it is for you to either uh, ad adapt or not adapt. Mm, so for so it's not just a student, it's yeah. also the host oh, community. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the resources that are available for international students, the kind of um, um, uh, support or aid they receive, not just from university, but from social groups mm. or the people that are living, they're living with, or, you know, this underlying, there's sort of what we call microaggression in terms of subtle racism. And what is a microaggression? So these are, uh, like the word microaggression, it is not blatant and it's not in your face, uh, sort of um, obvious, but it is these subtle cues that you feel that, people native to the country are uh, expressed towards you where, for example, as simple as I had um, a friend. Uh, in fact, this happened with me. Why talk about a friend? Uh, the first time I was introduced as a TA in the class, I was standing right in front of the students. And one like I could hear these girls discuss that, oh, would she even understand English? And I was standing right there. Wow. So, I mean, this is definitely not microaggression, but... <laughs> yeah, but then these are certain things that you just sort of either ignore, let it go, or you act upon it, but for how much you can you keep acting upon it? Right. So either you become comfortable with this sort of response that you get, or mm. you try to sort of make them aware that, you know, 
you know multiple languages and it is okay for somebody to be bilingual or multilingual. It's, I mean, the world's changing. Just get on board with that. Exactly. That's yeah. right. That's a, uh, yeah, I appreciate that that's perspective. A, yeah, that's a great point. And I'm glad you brought up microaggressions. We've done some reading about that in my own classes. And it's been shown that that the pervasiveness and the repetitive nature of it can actually be worse than like overt hateful racism because that, oh, you know, the okay. stress from each one, it just kind of builds and builds over time. And that can really affect, you know, students' academic outcomes and just their general level of stress and anxiety and depression. So that's, it's a very real challenge, mm, you know, unfortunately, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad you brought that up to, to talk about. And Along with that, you know, this sounds like it's been, a, you know, a very personal journey for you and everyone kind of goes on their own personal journey through this difficult acculturation. So can you tell us a little bit about what you think you learned about yourself and uh, your adjustment to U.S. culture? Um, what I learned about myself would be that I've, I need downtime because everything seems foreign. Even though I'm two years into living in the U.S., mm -hmm. it's still because, you know, I've lived for 28 years in India. And compared to that, it's I mean, it's a small number, two years. Uh, so I need time where I can, you know, either talk to somebody who uh, knows Hindi, like or call my parents mm -hmm. or just not interact with anyone. I need like at least half an hour every day where I stop being an international student and just be a human being where I don't have to, you know, keep a face on of, oh, I am, I'm, I've adjusted pretty well. I, I like stop pretending for five minutes and just be like, somebody talk to me in Hindi or just somebody feed me Indian food or, you know, something that reminds me of home. Mm. Right. And just makes me feel like a global citizen instead of, oh, you belong to this country or that country. Just a person. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, I think that's important. You know, you do need on some level those ties with home, you know, as much as you might be getting along, getting along with new friends in America here and you, you feel like you're adjusting well. I think it is still important that, that you have some ties to home, whether it be through, like you said, someone speaking the same language or just family, friends from India. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So you've already given some advice and really great insights, but do you have any more specific advice that you would give to other international students that you feel would help them in their own, uh, own efforts in overcoming culture shock? Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned for myself that I would, I, I think others could also benefit from this is that there is no rush. Like when we come to a different country, we are like, oh, we want to visit all the tourist attractions and we want to cover, you know, travel. And then we also want to become friends with everybody. We also want to do academically great. And we also want to make our parents proud and accomplish whatever goals we have. So there's so much that we want to do and we keep doing it. I think there is no rush. There aren't, I mean, I know everybody has a bucket list and everybody has a other like a personal achievement sort of list. It is okay to give each thing's time and accept failure if it comes your way, cause it's. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I mean you you cannot do everything all at once. You mm -hmm. gotta take some time, and 
it's okay if you're not if it's okay if I don't get to visit the Pacific Ocean. It's fine. I mean, you know, it's not going anywhere, and I. It's, so it's it's everything's fine. So there is no rush. I think, and also I think the biggest thing that helped me was asking for help. Okay. Because we feel here that if we can't figure it out on our own, then we're just stuck, which I made sure that I don't feel stuck. So mm -hmm. I asked for help. I didn't care how annoyed my friends were or how many times I was asking the same question. I was asking those questions. And if I was getting a response where, oh, you don't know how that hap works or, you know, for example, uh, a dishwasher is not a common of gadget or equipment in Indian households. So I didn't know how to figure that out. And it made me feel like, oh, I'm 29 years old and I don't know how to work a dishwasher. Mm -hmm. But I asked those questions and I asked them multiple times. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have this sort of worry that I'm going to be judged or, oh, you know, you should have learned. No, if I didn't know something, if I was stuck, I would ask questions and I would keep asking them. Because the beautiful thing was that I would, I received help all the time, mm, all the okay. time, even if it was paired with a little bit of annoyance, help was something that was always given. So I feel like Dumbledore right now because I'm using <laughs> Hogwarts references, but help was given. Yeah. Well, I think, as, you know, as higher education administrators, we want students to ask for help. And so that's so good to hear that you've had positive experiences. I hope not too much annoyance. But I think that attitude that you have of I'm here and I'm going to get the help and yeah. I'm going to ask for it is such a good piece of advice for other students coming in. And I really appreciate that. And it also sort of ties back to something you said earlier about that you're not a tourist, mm -hmm. right? That you're not a tourist. You're a member of the community and you're here for a longer period of time and maybe now even quite a bit of time. Sorry. Sorry to your mom because <laughs> you're doing this PhD. So um, just accepting that attitude of, of, of patience and a little bit of grace for yourself, not rushing through things and also just getting the help and support that you need. Um, and so because you're here for an extended period of time, I understand that you haven't, in part because of COVID, haven't been able to leave the U.S. very much. Um, so I'm wondering if you could share some of the things that you miss most about India that you miss most about being away from home. Oh, spicy food. <laughs> <laughs> I just want seasoning on food, you know. I miss that. And, oh, trains, definitely. So, I don't know. U.S. has so much land, but no trains. It doesn't make sense to me. India, we are a tiny country, but we still are 1.4 billion people. And our train network is excellent. Like, mm -hmm. every small town and city is connected to every other town and city through a network of trains, which I, I think, think is, I knew that. If we have one of the best, I mean, sure, maybe during colonization, that's how it started. But, you know, we've excelled our train network. Oh, and I'm really, really proud of that. Yes. And, you know, as, even as children, we would just travel in trains all the time. And here, even if I have to go to Phoenix, I, I don't know how to, like, there are no yeah. trains. And all this land and no trains. Uh, I miss trains. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. All right. And then uh, I guess on the flip side of that, what would you say are some of the things you love about living here in the U.S.? Ooh. Costco. <laughs> <laughs> What's Costco? <laughs> so Costco is this wholesale department store where you just get uh, 
everything, literally everything for in big packages. So you save a lot of money. Uh, so toilet paper, you you get like 60 rolls of them <laughs> for much cheaper. So, you know, I love Costco. I think that's great. Uh, I love the beer here. Okay. I, I think the beer game in U.S. is phenomenal. Do you have a favorite place in Tucson? For beer? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have uh, so many breweries. Uh, okay, so there is Crooked Tooth. There is uh, the Annex. There is Hop Shop. There is, oh, my favorite would be Casa Video. All, okay. Like the beers are phenomenal. So and so what is what is a brewery for our okay. listeners? Okay, yeah. so it's where they make the beer as draft in the same place. It's not bottled. I mean, they do have bottled options, but it's fresh beer mm-hmm. out of okay. a tap. And there, there are like different varieties. So you get a good IPA or if you want a lager or a mm-hmm. blonde or a stout or just... All of it. And so in the U.S., you have to be, and in Arizona, you have to be 21. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I should have mentioned that. That's all right. Um, (laughs) Is is there a different age in India for for Uh, being able to drink? Very recently, uh, the age at restaurants, it was 25, actually. 25. Very recently, maybe a couple of years ago, it's become 21 now. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a graduate student or you're an older undergraduate student, we have some wonderful breweries in Tucson. Absolutely. The beer game here is so strong. All right. And yeah, thank you. Those are some great insights and advice. And now as we're coming to the end of the episode, we've got a fun question for you. Can you share with us a food that reminds you of home? Oh, okay. So uh, it's it's a North Indian uh, specialty. It's called Rajma Chawal, which translates, uh, which Rajma is red ki- red kidney beans, and Chawal is rice. So it's a curry made out of red kidney beans eaten with rice, and it takes like a longer time to prepare this dish because you know you have to roast the spices separately and the vegetables separately and then put all of it together and then let the beans inculcate all that flavor so it keeps mm. cooking for a lot of time and then the rice is either like cumin with cumin and bay leaves so it's it's a lot of flavor and a lot of heat and a lot of spice all together and somebody else would make it like my mom would make it so you know it's a dish that would be given to you and you don't have to do anything about it <laughs> and you just eat it, and you eat a lot of it, and then you take, like, a long afternoon nap. So you're just, it's its a happy day. It's a Sunday meal. It's its a, you know, it reminds me of home. It reminds me of family. It reminds me of how I didn't have to do my own work there, and somebody else would probably cook for me. But now I'm independent and, you know, empowered. It's a good thing, but Rajma Chawal really makes me miss home. Yeah, thanks for painting that beautiful <laughs> picture. I really got a sense of, I don't know what it tastes like, but I got a sense of what that experience is like. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Nitika. We got um, we had a wonderful time talking to you and learning about your experiences with Culture Shock. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure to tell us before we close out? Oh, um, I think um, if if listening to this would help future potential students uh, adjust better or adapt better, I think that would make me feel like I did my job. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, 
I think that's that's about it. And I'm very thankful for you all to choose me to do this with you. Yeah, I mean, you're exciting. definitely an expert in your personal experiences, <laughs> but also your research. And so we're just so glad to have that preview. And um, I wish you the best of luck in that project. Thank you so much. And for me, I take with me that um, your advice to give yourself grace and to be gentle with yourself as you're adjusting and to ask for lots of help, right? And to just take advantage of that and even be a little bit pushy about oh, asking for help. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that was something that I really take away from this. Yeah, that was great. I think um, that stood out to me too, uh, asking for help, because I know that can be a very difficult thing for people to do. And I think in American culture, in a lot of ways, it is very individualistic and that that makes it hard to ask for help, but that's that's very important, especially when you're in a new place and learning new things and meeting new people. So that was great. That was great. Thank you, Natika, for everything you shared with us today. And thank you so much for everyone out there for listening to Culture Shocked. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Natika, and we encourage you to tune in next time for more stories about the international student experience. We'll be covering topics such as culture shock, online learning strategies, and the challenges and rewards of making a home in a new place. Keep exploring and learning until you join us next time on Culture Shocked. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss an episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Culture Shocked is a production of International Student Services at the University of Arizona. We're your hosts and producers, Josh Little and Fiona Grugan. Our sound engineer is Julian Castrione. Our theme music is provided by Julian Castrione. Photography by Danny Vanderplug. Visuals designed by Maggie Murto. Please find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. This podcast would not be possible without the contributions of international students. We are grateful for your stories, experiences, and insights. Until next time. <laughs>